0: Welcome back, everyone, to Three Mics and Mixer. We've got a very big announcement for you today. John is going full-time on the podcast because he is now unemployed. Yeah, I'm, right, I'm unemployed, which means if I like have a
1: big health need in the next two weeks here, yeah. I'm I'm very <laughs> much screwed. Um, that actually will... That's a preview of our conversation we're going to have with our guest here, Kevin Drake. Yeah, yeah, good to be here. Um, but yeah, th- thanks for joining the podcast, Kevin. And, and I think, Kevin, you were one of the first... People we kind of ideated this podcast with.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, and I feel like I feel like you want to talk to us about that story that happened there.
2: Um. Yeah. Just uh. Just a lot of interesting uh, back and forth on the naming and uh and just the idea. Um. So yeah. I've been this, a, definitely been a, been a fan since day one. For oh sure. yeah.
0: This episode has been a long time coming, ladies and gentlemen. So strap in. You're you're about to have a wild ride. <laughs> well, courtesy
1: of Kevin Drake. Kevin, you're you're you're. The the name of the podcast Smokehouse. You want to do you want to
0: talk to us about that? <laughs> smoking those meats? <laughs>
2: um, I, I I forget how that even came up actually. Um, but it's
1: like I think I think it involves some like cigars. No, we were camping. Oh we yeah. Were camping. yeah.
0: I was I was on my second cigarette and passed out on a rock somewhere. <laughs> No, not cigarette. Cigar. No, <laughs> no, that, that was much this better.
1: podcast said you predated that by a long, no, a long. Didn't. Yeah, that no. was that was 2020.
0: We started podcast 2021. No, but we've had cigar. John, we're getting sidetracked. We've had cigars <laughs> since then. All right. And we were talking about smoking out those secrets on the
2: pod. Ah, uh, yes, with a fire. It's oh, <laughs> yes, good times.
1: Um, but all that being said, wanted to provide some background there. Uh, but Kevin, you have lived in three different neighborhoods in Chicago. I have. I have.
2: Yeah. So after graduation, I moved to Wicker Park, um, which I love uh, and definitely miss. Uh, and then I moved down to the West Loop with one of my best friends from Indiana. And uh, after that, I've been moved up here near you guys. Well,
1: if, if you were to power rank the three different locations, uh, how would they rank?
2: Oh, man. Um probably i'd probably power rank it as uh, they have their pros and cons for different different reasons but probably probably wicker lincoln and then uh Westloop. um all are good all are good definitely have an answer right there but all are good Um, sorry
1: we 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 don't allow nuance in this podcast so (laughs) no uh that makes sense. And, and one of your, um, you hail from a, from a certain university that shall remain nameless on this podcast. It would just be really too shameful to talk about it. Oh
2: man. Real sad. Real sad. Yeah. With, the, uh, these boiler makers here. Um, so I'm from, uh, Bloomin- or I guess I'm from, uh, I went to school down at Indiana university in, in beautiful Bloomington, Indiana. Um, and, uh, yeah, had, had four great years down there.
1: Um, and I should say your favorite place in Chicago is actually in this living room, which is really cool. You, you put down here, um, a friend's home. And so I think, I think this, I think there, that implies that there's, uh, sure. there's yeah.
2: certainly been many of a good day and evening here in this place. So, um, yeah, it's been fun, man. Um,
1: I feel like one of the very first things that I, that I learned about you, Kevin, was that you were a twin. And I just think that's really, that's really interesting. Um, because you, you, you have a brother and then you have uh, mom and dad who are now live in Boise. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so you've been a twin for your whole life. Your whole life. life. <laughs> your whole life. Yeah. Um, that's so astute, John. That's, that's really wise. <laughs> we, bring, we bring the really... Um, um, the hard-hitting facts. Like, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, we I try to bring some unique observations to this
0: podcast, so... Good, I, I still, Good. <laughs> still, I, Kevin, I still have not at your twin. I'm assuming you guys look a lot alike. And I have so many questions. So... I only know a few sets of twins, but you're definitely the one that I'm I'm closest to. I have so many questions about what it's like being a twin, why there's variation in how twins look if you're
2: genetically identical. Very curious about that. Can you just like dive into the twin experience for a minute? (laughs) Certainly. Um, I mean, I think uh, to start it off, so uh, I have an identical twin brother. Um, His name is Michael. And um, we usually always start the story when we when we tell people about ourselves, especially in like our, our own individual lives. Now we went to different colleges and um, and are in different cities now. And so I always say, you know, twins are either really close or not close at all. Um, and we are certainly the the twins that are really close. Um, growing up, we did absolutely. Everything that was the same, you know, uh, down to our extracurricular activities, our cross country times would be seconds apart from each other. Our ACT score was the same. Um, and so, you know, just like a lot of sameness all throughout growing up, um, which I think can promote a, a bit of a like a competitive spirit, uh, certainly. Um, but I think what was really good for us is, uh, is, you know, going to different universities um, and, you know, building a little bit of like our own lives to to say it in, a, in an interesting way, like, you know, in high school and, and all throughout growing up, you're you are like Kevin and Michael to everybody. Um, and, you know, for the first time in our lives, when we were freshmen freshman in college, you are like your Kevin or you're like Michael to your friend group or, or to your classroom um, was was there always an enhanced desire to like
0: to find your own identity and your own personality apart from Michael's?
2: I I don't think that like was a a desire, um, I, I, but like I, I, it's certainly not not there. <laughs> um, you know, like I, I think. All growing up, I, I I think with us being so close, we didn't have like a you know extreme desire to say hey like I want to like find my own like Kevin identity. Um, but when that's like in front of your face and you're like living that out freshman year of college or or all throughout college, like yeah, it, it, there's certainly the questions of you know what is it look like to be me and like be Kevin um, instead of like the Drake twins or the Drake boys or uh, Kevin and Michael, um, and so. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that was certainly there.
1: If, if you found yourself Lord willing, raising twins someday, <laughs> like what, what are some like aspects of your experience that you would maybe change yeah. or alter?
2: Yeah, that's a good, it's a good question. And I forgot to mention, um, so my dad is a fraternal twin. Um, and so twins kind of run in the family a little bit, uh, although identical twins are, are complete like genetic flukes. Um, you know, like, uh, it's like not supposed to happen kind of um and uh but to the point of like raising twins um i uh, i would love that <laughs> i mean i can like, i certainly can like relate to that so much um and it's something that like michael and i have talked about is you know growing up um just us two y- in a weird sense like you're not really like growing up with a sibling like you're kind of like you're doing the same things at the same stage of life at every single stage of life. And so like you never have an older brother or like, uh, you know, a younger sister where it's like, Oh, like I can learn from them or they've already done this. Like that, that's not a thing. Like you're, you're doing the same things at the same times in the same seasons. And, um,
0: and as somebody who doesn't have a twin, like from the outside in, I've, if I immediately had a twin, that would feel unsettling for me because there's somebody that exists that is genetically identical to me. And like, had we gone through all the same circumstances, we would make all this. Well, depends on if you believe in free will, but (laughs) like that's, that's gotta be, maybe it's not because you're so used to it, but that would be unsettling to me to know that there's somebody exactly like me genetically out there.
2: I think, um, I think like growing, like having that just be the norm, like growing up and, knowing that like my only sibling is genetically the same. Mm -hmm. Um, you just kind of get used to that. Um, and I mean, I think like the thing that I've been so thankful for is, you know, I'm, I'm such a champion of, especially post-college and in college, I've been such a champion of Michael and he's been such a champion of me. And, um, it's been very cool to, um, yeah, like just like champion each other and like encourage each other. Um, like be our, 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 like favorite cheerleaders. Um, and so, uh, so it, there's less of like the like unsettledness or like competitiveness, um, more of, of the closeness and, and encouragement. So, yeah.
0: This is tangentially related, but also not a direct response to what you're saying. But have you guys read that story about the twins who married twins and had a wedding <laughs> together, and now they live in this. They all live in the same house, wild. and their their kids are going to be genetically siblings instead of cousins. So they're like they're technically cousins, but the kids huh. will be genetic siblings because that's wild. Wait, they, I mean, they
1: married the same twins. That is yeah, two wild. twins married
0: twins. Wild, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: one, one, one thing I've always wondered, like, were you and uh, Michael like similarly? personality wise and do you think that maybe like a larger genetic question that that personality is an is a product of your genetics in some in some aspect
2: yeah i mean i i think like in certain areas for sure and it's a little bit a part of like your environment as well like um like you know just growing up in the same environment doing the same things like same extracurriculars like you know all us equal we had very similar upbringings um so i think like certainly like that, that influences like our, our personalities. I think where we started to deviate in our, like our postures and like how we deal with things and to think about things like all that happened in college. Um, and so, um, you know, just in, in our, like, uh, you know, what we were involved in our friend groups, et cetera. I think that's where like little subtleties in our personalities, um, became pretty different. Um, overall, like we're still, extremely similar
1: you guys um, even have like the same like like ticks as a person totally. it, it's so it's so interesting <laughs> totally. to look at um yeah and uh yeah that's awesome well yeah. i i did realize i i did bury the lead on a couple other important introductory things for you so you are in the healthcare space you're a strategy associate with a company called go health i am uh, and that you also like live, like you grew up pretty close to Chicago in Naperville.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Chicago has been home for, for or at least the greater Chicagoland area has been home for, for a, a, quite a long time. So, yeah.
1: Um, what would you say is like, has been like a defining characteristic of this past year?
2: Yeah. Um, a lot has happened in the past year, <laughs> um, just across, uh, so many different things. Um, but I think like, I. Uh, I got asked a very similar question, um, in, on a trip in, in San Diego, uh, where I was like, you know, what is, uh, what has defined the past year and, and, what are you looking forward to in the next year? Um, and I think something that's just like really defined this past year is, um, is practicing Sabbath, um, uh, and actually living that out, um, you know, practically like that's been like, you know, essentially Friday evening to Saturday evening, um, completely unplugging and plugging into everything that is rest and or worship, you know? Um and so uh that's been just a uh just great um over the past the past year. When when
0: I was growing up and I'm sure for any other Christians listening to this they had a similar experience. Sabbath seemed to be a very legalistic thing. I was like, all right, you can't do any work on Sunday. And it was about like the Sunday being that day. It's interesting that Friday evening to Saturday evening is that day for you. And I think the Bible actually indicates that like, it's not about it being a specific day of the week. It's about blocking off time for rest. So I'm curious if you've seen like any tangible benefits in your life from that and how it's impacted your, the rest of your week essentially.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think something that marked my first couple of years out of school was um, and just like, you know, knowing you guys, like we were all in the all in or all all were or all still are in the consulting industry. Um, Which is, which is a pretty chill industry is what I've heard. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so my, my life was just marked with hurry. Um, And I, and I think in a lot of senses I was learning a lot you know, just, like, at the job and things like that. But in a much greater sense, um, I was very unsettled and hurried. Um, and so uh, I think, um, yeah, just by, like, practicing Sabbath, I think, first of all, it's drawn me closer to the Lord um, in not only being able to, A, like, slow down and, like, recognize who he is, rest in who he is, worship him, um, but B, just as like resistance to the hurry um, and like not believing, uh, you know, just the narrative of of this world or the narrative of empire or whatnot, like, um, but really like resting in who the Lord is. Um, and so that's just been, it's been pretty, pretty transform- transformational over the past year.
1: I, I feel like there's a lack of just like Sabbath awareness in uh, evangelical, evangelical circles in in the U.S. Um, and I don't know what that says about our culture or what that says about our world. But like, why do you think that is?
2: That's a good question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, what, what, I'm, what I'm basically I mean,
1: asking, Kevin, is why aren't more people like
2: you? I mean, why can't <laughs> more people? Be I like don't me? know, man. <laughs> um,
0: they wish they could be.
2: <laughs> I I mean, I think like um, I think if there's like. I have one little data point on it. It would be that, you know, we, we do live in a world that's hurried. Um, and like, it's everywhere. It's, it's like, it's very much like a, our Western culture, um, uh, as like a, a greater like Western culture is, you know, hurry and, and busyness and, Um, you know, even being postured since like high school, you're like, Oh, how are things like things are busy? Like I'm studying, um, or you graduate. How are things? It's almost
1: like a badge of honor to be busy in those contexts.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, and like, I get it, man. I've, I've been there and like, I have lived there. Uh, and like, I get that. Um, uh, and things can be busy for sure. Um, but it also can be really easy to get swept up in that. And that becomes, you know, just what is like defining,
0: if if we can get logistical for a second, if somebody's listening to this podcast and they want to implement Sabbath in their life, or they're intrigued by what you're saying, what are some practical things that should be done to create this in your life? What are some first steps that should be taken?
2: That's a good question, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would just start with like remembering, um, uh, you know. Across like Deuteronomy and and um, uh, like following Exodus, uh, Moses is talking to all the Egyptians that that have just like left and have been rescued by the Lord. Um, and like, wait,
1: you, you mean Israelites, right?
2: Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> mind wandering. I was like, um, is this a Bible story I haven't heard? Mind wandering. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's the fire. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and Moses is telling them not only to remember, but to observe the Sabbath. Like, what is, what is your, your life's narrative been up to today? Like in that, like that figurative day, uh, like it is hurry. It is your, your value is the amount of bricks and the amount of work that you can do. Um, so like practically like starting there, um, starting where like, man, like, we are not, um, yeah, like, we are not the product of our, our work. Um, not, not that we're not the product of work. We're not the, like, the, the, our identity is not our work. Our identity is not, like, what we create. Um, and just, like, reveling in the fact that that the Lord is sovereign, the Lord is good. Um, so I think that's, like, a good starting point. Um, yeah.
0: You, you know, I, I have this theory that's somewhat tangential to Sabbath. Um, I booked a couple days ago on a whim um, just a cabin in potato Creek state park in Indiana, this random hodong park. But, um, uh, the idea is I'm going to be there for 24 hours, like no cell service, not visiting with anyone. And so it's going to be very much that of reading rest prayer. Um, and I was so excited for the aloneness of it. For some reason I was like, am I just not as extroverted as I used to be? Am I becoming more of an introvert? And then I think my, my current hypothesis is that for a lot of my life. I've had this like subconscious FOMO, and like I should always be engaging with other people um, because you want to make sure you're like you know in in the circles and things like that. And I'm at a point in my life where I you know finally feel comfortable enough with who I am and my relationships where I don't feel the need to always be like surrounded by people. So I guess my question for you is: Do you think part of the reason why people push so hard so often is this um, desire to feel? like they're in community or they're worried they're not in community. How much of our, our busyness is manufactured because of a certain insecurity?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a a good question. Um, I mean like, you know, like social media and other, other outlets like that certainly don't help. (laughs) Um, uh, although they do in many ways, um, I think to your point, uh, it certainly can, can cause us to feel pretty separated. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like I agree. Like, I think like to a certain degree, like we we manufacture our, our busyness and hurriness and, and, and just like being hurried, um, where you you fill margin. Like, think about it. Like, you know, we are so much more productive than we were fifty years ago, and we we just fill margin. Like, you find a way to just like fill it with busyness or fill it with something, um, and being able to like carve intentional space out to say, okay, like I am not. Like, I am in the world, but not of the world. And, uh, like, for today, I'm going to remember that the Lord is good, that he's sovereign, that he's for us, and that he, his, his kingdom is of peace. Um, yeah, like, that's, that's important to do. Otherwise, we forget. Um, and, like, what was the call of, of Moses to all the Israelites there is, is um, man, remember the story is good. Hmm. Like, remember he's actually with you. Um, remember all the miracles that happened to get you out of Egypt. Um and what do they do? They they forget. Um and so yeah, it's just like time a, and time again. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I mean it's just like that that's a call for like I, I've deeply resonated over the past year with as well. It's like, I mean, like just just remember that the Lord is good. Remember he is with you. Remember that he's sovereign. Um
0: And in that time window of the Friday night to Saturday night, do you turn down plans if you feel like they're overwhelming do you silence your phone yeah like what I, is what does that mean to you so
2: it's <laughs> a good question man um i mean like firstly I, I for sure like turn my phone off um like i mean i'd recommend that like just like outside of sabbath too of like you know take time away from technology but um but i think like you know I, I, I take a lot of my like definition of Sabbath from like uh, this John Mark Comer book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, as well. Um, you know, he defines it like you know it, it's got to be either rest or it's got to be worship, one of the two. Um, and that could be anything. Like that could be like a meal with you guys um, and just like sharing fellowship. That can be like spending a bunch of time in worship. That can be spend, spending a bunch of time in the Word. That can be a long bike ride. Um, that could be a good, well, like a, a, a like a good and long nap. As it many as it definitely has been in busy seasons. Um but like there's I don't think there's like a you know, a a calculus or like a formula to it. Um but as long as like the day isn't like a day off. It's a day focused on the Lord, um, focused on that like I am enjoying him and his creation. Um, I think, you know, that, that gets pretty close, for sure.
1: And and I, I love that final point there, and I feel like in so many other religions um, the way to honor god is by doing 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 and getting all your list of good deeds ready and 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 proper before the lo- before like the god who that you you are worshiping in that in that sense and and you know the christian god is saying hey like slow down and just be with me and just rest in this and just have immense joy from this experience uh, and I think yeah. it's really interesting totally. that that aspect. Um, and I, I really like that, that that last part, what you said there.
2: Yeah, totally, man. Totally.
0: Kevin, one thing I really appreciate you, about you out of the many things <laughs> is that you are incredibly intentional with your life and your time and your decisions. And you're always scheming for ways <laughs> to just honor the Lord and honor those around you. Um, you came to us about a year ago, maybe a bit more um, with this crazy idea to create a board of directors, but not for a company, (laughs) but for accountability with life and particularly with generosity. Um, Can you explain a little bit more about that concept to those listening? Um, What is this, this board of directors for life? Um, How is it, how has it worked in the past year and how has it impacted you?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so a little bit of the backstory. Um, I was in college and in the ministry that I was a part of uh, Christian student fellowship. Uh, one of the leaders um, of CSF came to me and said, Hey, like we have an alumni that just like wrote this book. Um, and he's like, kind of like you, you know, he's like did this consulting track and this business track and um, you know, you guys are pretty similar. Like you should check it out. It's called God and money. Um, and, uh, and so I read uh, um the author in this case is Greg Baumer. Um and uh I read God in Money and um you know uh Greg and his co author do a really good job of um teasing out first of all what is the what does scripture say about generosity? You know, like first of all like what are we what are we called in in generosity? Like what is like uh the Lord say about generosity? Then they talk about okay. Like, cool, we have, like, uh, a foundational knowledge around, you know, what generosity means. Um, uh, How are we postured? Like, you know, like, we probably don't live there. (laughs) And so, like, are we spenders or are we savers? Um, And how do we ultimately end up as stewarders for the kingdom? So, like, one, like, practical idea he has to get, like, really tactful is um, he created this, like, board of directors for life. And, you know, same thing as like companies go to their board of directors, um, to get sign off on their strategic initiatives and whatnot. Um, you know, what if you created a board of directors where you would go with all your, your generosity and personal finance questions? And I think what we've even broadened it to is like, uh, life questions and like life things that we're discerning through. Um, and so, you know, we've created yeah so I had that idea um and like knew I wanted to do that with with guys here in the city um and you guys were, were certainly some of the first folks I thought of um so yeah
0: since since starting it have you noticed a change in your posture towards finances for good or for bad right because I think this this idea comes with potential pitfalls and we we have been very clear in discussing this which is like you're revealing your finances to four other like high achievers and that's takes a lot of vulnerability and it also takes a lot of like humility and trust and so um i think there's a lot of potential for awesomeness (laughs) and there's also a lot of risk that like the evils of our own hearts can bubble up yeah um and that's been in my in my opinion pretty cool to like you know wrestle with and to like really understand like how what is my view towards money and how does that impact my self-worth so curious how you have personally been impacted in either tangential or in either tangible or intangible ways
2: totally um yeah i mean like i think uh personally it, like specifically with, with finances um I certainly have been accountable and I think like accountability is a word we throw around in a lot of different contexts, um, especially with like small groups or like, uh, you know, I think of any like group of, of like guys or otherwise, um, you know, like holding, holding ourselves to be accountable. Um, uh, and like experiencing like true accountability, a, but like also like in a very real sense, like, uh, like, ironing sharp iron sharpening iron um like you know i feel like not only on the in the sense of finances am i able to discern through like specific things that i i need help in (laughs) on like generosity or like stewarding um but equally like uh being able to chew through pray through and like live life with a handful of other dudes um where we leave our meetings and our gatherings where you're like man I am I am encouraged and I I uh I have experienced not only intimacy with these guys but uh but time with the lord um and so um I don't know I feel like those are some of the things that I've been taken away from the group so far
0: that's what most people say when they've hung out with john is they've also experienced time with the lord yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah sorry john i interrupted you go for it um
1: yeah i guess what would you say like generosity is such a large loaded topic yeah um like what would you say to someone who's looking at like looking into like what it means to be more generous at a broad category maybe what it looks like to be generous as a as a christian
2: yeah totally um that's a good question. <laughs> um, uh, I think, like in terms of like advice, um, I mean, I think to start off, you know, uh, again, like I would point to like let's get rooted in the word, and like let's get rooted in like what Scripture says about generosity. Um, and what scripture says our postures towards money should be and there's you know that could be a very long podcast and in and of itself um uh, but I like would point there first um but secondly um, I mean like I think uh being able to there there's uh, a head knowledge like oh like generosity is pretty important um uh, and there's like a like a heart knowledge like hey like we're doing this um uh, and Um, I think both are, are stages, you know, you'd want to reach. Um, but certainly I'd like, I I don't know if there were, if there was advice I would give someone, I would just like start with scripture. Um, but you know, out of that, uh, you know, look for organizations, people, et cetera, um, to be supporting and, and, uh, and yeah, helping out.
1: It really is funny because when you look at like my own heartbent, and I think a lot of people's heartbent, is to say, oh, like, I'm going to give exactly, like, oh, where where's the passage in scripture where it says, how much to give in order to be holy? Um, <laughs> and the issue is, like, that passage, like, doesn't really, like, exist, right? It, it, it's a combination of, like, give give out of joy, yeah. give sacrificially, and, and it's really interesting where I feel like we always want to just do, like, find find where the boundary line is money-wise yeah and then just like you know stay stay right on the other side of that boundary
2: totally i mean like y- you can expand that to like so many different things too you know um on, like hey like what w- what's like good uh,
1: <laughs> and i want a rule set for life and <laughs> move from there
2: yeah yeah um but yeah i mean like i think what what has been like helpful out of the the board of directors is um you know, like not only are we able to like very, very literally look at our finances, um, and discern, you know, how much we're, we're giving, et cetera. Um, but to just be asking the harder questions on like, regardless of like percentage or whatever, like, man, w- what is your posture towards money right now? Um, like, are you still in your predisposition of spender or saver? Are you moving towards feeling like a stewarder? Um, like how are you identifying towards money? Like, those are like the harder questions, but, like, yeah, like, regardless of like percentage or whatever, like, uh, or amount, like, like you guys said, like, we're like, all the guys on our board of directors are in business right now. Um, and so like, uh, like regardless of like amount or whatever, like, man, like how are you identifying and feeling and, um, and, uh, hearing from the Lord about money. So yeah, some good stuff.
0: Yeah. Chris made a really good point during one of our last meetings about how, you know giving should be to the point potentially of feeling a little bit uncomfortable and if you are making 30k a year and supporting a whole family and you decide to give 10% away that's going to be super uncomfortable and one thing that i think we all all five of us that are in this specific you know group of board of directors we'll probably continue to have to challenge each other to do is like, as we, as we get married and like our, hopefully we continue to, to get promotions and do well in life. And like, we are going to have to be continuously pushing that, that limit and that boundary. Because right now, like I don't even, I don't even budget period. <laughs> right. Even, even with giving, like it's yeah. not, it's not something I like have to think about that much. And, um, people who don't have it as well as we do, like, really like they are and and who are still giving like what what a greater gift like i love that parable in the bible about the woman who gives the two coins and that's a much greater gift than the guy who tosses in so much more money and um i just think like it's going to be interesting for us to continue challenging each other to like like be a little bit uncomfortable with it because we need that
2: yeah i mean like across seasons too you know like uh like man like what happens if you're if you're married or otherwise
1: so we've talked a lot about generosity and like what that looks like with the Christian lens. But there are also other parts about board of directors too, that have been, I think impactful for us. And one of the first things that comes to my mind is the idea of accountability and specifically financial accountability with that Christian Christ centered lens. Um, what's something you've learned in that, in that regard?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I think um, that goes a little bit broader to um, not only like, you know, how are we, how are we giving, but equally, how are we spending and how are we saving? Um, like well, how do the, all of those different buckets and categories of our lives look in accordance and, um, uh, you know, ultimately in, in honoring and glorifying the Lord. And so, um, yeah, I mean like, I obviously, I think that like stretches into a wide variety of topics from like house buying and like, uh, you know, car purchases and you you name it. Uh, our day-to-day, you know, lives when it revolves around money.
1: Then I think one of the key attributes of, of board directors is the, the idea of finish lines, right? So, it, and specifically contrasting to finish lines is basically the idea of like, what are your end goals financially? Like, for example, a finish line could be, I want to pay, pay off my mortgage on my, Um, $300,000 house, um, by the, you know, by X, by X age,
0: I would argue though, John, it's less about like a minimum finish line and more about building in maximums. Like a lot of people when they're saving for retirement, they're like, I want a minimum of $2 million saved for retirement. The board of directors flips that on its head and says, okay, I'm going to save no more than this amount for Mm -hmm. my kids college fund for a a house for retirement because I want to be trusting God with money.
1: And it's the idea that like money is not an end and an end in and of itself. Right. It's the idea that money is a tool that, like hey we we require money to live, we require money to in some ways flourish, but at some point like we're all we are called to be radically generous yeah. um yeah, I guess what are some of like your your what have some of your takeaways been in in terms of that realm?
2: yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of those likely, and I think which which is really cool about like a you know a a board of directors for life um is. A lot of those, like, large decisions financially, I think of and connotate with, like, like following a marriage or, like, starting a family. um, Like, those are, like, big, weighty financial decisions. Um And, you know, I think it can be very easy to, obviously, like, don't have any experience in this, but <laughs> um, I think it can be very easy to, um, like Alex said, like, view things as, like, minimums. Like man, like I want to save at least something, or like I want to spend at least something, um, instead of viewing money as a tool and saying, "Hey, like I'm gonna, I'm going to spend this on car payments and rent and savings um, because it w- enables me to be able to give generously in X area." Um, and so, I mean, don't have a like. I mean, you guys are the same way, but like we, we don't have like a bunch of experience in like those areas. Um, but I think that'll be like a really helpful medium. Like the board of directors for life will be a very helpful medium for decisions at that point.
0: Can I can I give a hot take that is something I have no experience in, but I'm curious to get y'all's take on this. One of the key things that you can do to maintain a healthy and generous attitude towards money in life is marry somebody that has a similarly like... Generous, if not more generous attitude towards money. Because if, when you get married, I mean, Paul talks about like when you get married, like your concern primarily is with your spouse. And if you marry somebody that is not as much of a steward as you want to be, you can't be as much of a steward as you want to be because you have to like, you're, you have to preserve your marriage. So a lot of people ask me like what my, you know, desires are in a partner, like frugality is one of them, not because I'm cheap, although I am cheap, but that's not why I want somebody that's frugal. It's because I want like to have to be equally yoked in this desire to be generous. I want someone to push me in that. So what do you guys think? And and, I, and so what you're saying is maybe
1: we should expand the board of directors. So not only do you have to come to the board of directors <laughs> for financial approvals,
0: you also that's have to right, run by right. relationships. I'm going to um, bring PowerPoint slides with uh, my most recent dates and uh, their, their bios. <laughs> I wouldn't
2: put it past <laughs>
0: So, okay. Karing, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding, kidding. <laughs> and I
1: think you get at a really good point here. And I think at the core of that is the idea that Finances are at the core of so much yeah. of, of us, and I and I think we've even experienced this as well as the idea of a board of directors. Um, you know, we meet for the finances, but it it turns into the, something that is so much more life encompassing than just than just like what my budget is for a given month.
2: Totally, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mentioned that a little bit earlier, but um, I mean, it, it truly, really is a, a group where you're radically transparent, um, not only in your finances but in career decisions and like man like relational challenges and things that you just need help discerning through things that you need to be held accountable to um and i think that's what's so encouraging leaving time together as like the all five of us is um you know you, you do feel sharpened you do feel encouraged um and ultimately pointed towards the lord and i think that's uh, ultimately, uh you know a really good thing Uh, out of the board of directors.
0: And I want, for those listening, I don't want the takeaway to be uh, that us three are patting ourselves on the back for this great group we've created because truly all it is is just, it's an opportunity to live in community and accountability and that can be done with any area of your life for any group. So there's, there's like boards of directors that have been spun up after hearing about ours and we heard about it from other people. And so I guess my encouragement to everyone listening to to the three of us is in every area of our life, consider like channeling and creating a community for accountability. So we all come from like a business minded approach, which is why we called it the board
1: of directors. What, what would, what should someone call it if they're like, I don't know, a bunch of like artists.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the, da Vin- the Da Vinci Code. I don't know the Cash Collective. The Cash Collective. <laughs> the cash collect- I, I love that. The um, Da Vinci Code. <laughs> okay, so no, let's. So so Kevin, one thing I've been wanting to ask about this whole pod is something I asked Adam about our very first podcast guest because mm. he is also in healthcare. Um, it's about this this concept of finances within healthcare, specifically. A, a lot of cr- criticism is put into the healthcare system and oftentimes those in the healthcare system for treating it like a business mm-hmm. and for reaping great salaries and benefits. Um, and that is weighing down the healthcare system because, you know, post MBA people are going in and expecting $300,000 salaries. <laughs> Maybe that's a part of it. And I'm curious to get your take on the problems in the healthcare industry and what can be done about it.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. Um- I mean, a lot of people, when they summarize the issues, there's so many, uh, like anybody that has gotten a surgery or been to the, even the, just been to the doctor's office and navigating, you know, bills and et cetera from your insurance company, or just getting insurance. Like those are like three or four, like big, like problems I just mentioned right there. Um, just in, in like a consumer's experience in healthcare. But a lot of people, when, when we talk about like the problems in healthcare, I would bucket it in like. Really like three big buckets, and I kind of add a fourth. Um, you know, the first is cost. We spend a lot of money on healthcare in America, more than every other developed country, um, and not by a little, but by a lot. Um, and so that's a big problem. Um, like you hear that from your neighbors, you hear that from your family, you hear that from uh, whoever, you hear that in the news. Um, that that healthcare is really expensive, and, and certainly is the fact. Um, uh, the second is is quality. Um, this is sometimes overlooked, um, but you know the quality of outcomes varies based on where you get a procedure, um, and unfortunately, that's the truth uh, here in America. Um, the the third is access. Um, you know, and this includes insurance. You know, being being able to like access care. You probably need insurance <laughs> to like pay for it. Um, uh, but equally it also means like, hey, you don't have to drive 50 miles to go to get a, a surgery or a doctor's office, which in many cases in, in rural America, that is absolutely the case. Um, my like fourth little wrapper problem here that I wrap around everything is is health equity. You know, like all three of those earlier ones, cost, uh, quality and access are, are big, big problems that many of the private sector companies in america are trying to solve um the fourth is you know all else equal you know you would expect health outcomes health access and cost to be like relatively like stable across like all um like different races in america um and that isn't just like not the case at all um and so like there's like some serious issues and problems in in equity in in healthcare specifically so those are like some of the like high level things of how I think about like just the problems and, you know, like art, like the company I work at and, and many others like are probably addressing one of them. If not many, uh, if not a couple of them.
0: Is that healthcare equity issue related specifically to healthcare or is it, there's a problem with equity in general in the U S right. and because <laughs> of that equity problem that translates to healthcare.
2: I mean, yeah, man, like, uh, like, like, It's kind of a chicken or the egg question. Um, It's a good question. Um, Like, uh, I would argue... Like, is there something
0: systemically wrong with healthcare such that, like, marginalized groups are worse off? Or marginalized groups worse off? I think you get the question, but... I mean, it's
2: a little bit of both. Um, Like, uh, it's uh, obviously, you know, after... you know you can point to just a large amount of research and and data pointing towards you know the systemic systemic pieces of america agnostic of healthcare um but equally uh you know there are like healthcare pieces like there's bodies of research that um that african americans don't trust their their doctors to the degree of of uh like white americans um like that's a problem um and like and it is unfortunate um and so uh, and oftentimes because of, you know, systemic pieces that have been put in place by the, the amount of, uh, doctors that are white, you know? And so there's like no one to even relate to. So like, that's like, like one piece of like just a large body of, of like research and data that points to just the, the inequities and in outcomes, um, you know, inequities and in trust, um, just a lot of stuff that's like you know, pretty challenging and like pretty disheartening. If you just look at the data, um, you know, what's encouraging is there's a lot of people that are trying to address it.
1: And and when you talk about a lot of people, it like is the best way boots on the ground, go to doctor's offices and, um, you know, talk to people and, and make that like systematic change, or is that like a policy level change that needs to happen from, or is the answer I don't know? You're question, giving me man. a. It's a good question. There's a very pensive look on your face right now. Um,
2: I mean, and it's, we
0: we do expect you to have all the answers. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, and I I guess I want to caveat with like I certainly am not an expert in any of this. Um, in terms of like a policy question, like yeah, that like you know none of us are probably strangers to the debate around like healthcare for all or Medicare for all or what does it look like to increase access to care. Like there's a bunch of different like ideas getting thrown out by all kinds of different parties and all kinds of different people. Um, you know, would it involve policy? Um, it's certainly an idea. Um, and well, like, well, Kevin, like,
0: there there are countries, countless <laughs> countries that are doing healthcare way better than we are, and uh-huh. it boggles my mind that. Well, I'm sure this has been done, but it hasn't worked. Why can't we just run a study? of all the different countries and how their healthcare system works and all the variables like you know hire some consulting firm to do this run run the numbers get the benchmarks and figure out like what what are those countries doing well or doing differently that we should apply to the US government healthcare it, is is that the answer i mean kevin from what you know countries <laughs> that do healthcare better is it is it like just public options and universal healthcare for all
2: I mean, it, it, the challenging piece here is um, it's always very easy to to connotate and and you know look at like case studies and say oh like they're apples to apples applicable to here in America and like the problem is we just that, that's not really the case you know like um, America is such a unique population and how we've set up healthcare is so unique in terms of how people get access to insurance and otherwise. Like, our system is just very unique. Um, And so if we were to do any, like, larger changes, it's going to be a big shock to the system. Um, uh, So, you know, yeah. Like, is is it policy? Or could we, like, model off another country? Like, sure. Um, But it certainly would be... um, It it certainly would require a lot of change. Um, So not to say that it's not needed, um, but it certainly would be... Uh, a bit of a larger change.
1: And I think there's a lot more we can talk about in the healthcare space, but I think that might be for another podcast. But one thing I think I'm really curious to hear right now is you, you're in a health, you're in the healthcare space, you're mm-hmm. in the trenches right now. Um, and you're in a really, from what I understand, a really unique space. So can you talk to you uh, about like, you know, go health and how go health <laughs> mission fits into that? Um, and then how you anticipate fitting into that mission
2: in, in the future here. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> without being like such a large plug for GoHealth. But um, uh, essentially, you know, what GoHealth does is we are a technology-enabled brokerage specifically right now for the senior citizen space. So for and what, what's a brokerage? Yeah. So, um, you know, essentially, uh, we help people get insurance, get access to insurance. Um, so we'll, like, write the actual insurance policy. So that's a brokerage. Um, but, uh, um, like, essentially what we do, think of us as, like, uh, a, a, a the common analogy we've said is, like, the Expedia for healthcare. You know, Medicare is super complicated for senior citizens. Like, my parents are about to turn 65, and they have either a public option, so just Medicare that you've been paying in for your entire life, or a private option. And oftentimes, the private option offers extra benefits like dental, vision, and hearing. Um, and like extra allowances that um, you know, regular Medicare wouldn't offer. Um, and so so it's certainly a, a popular option. Almost about half the country is on this private option. Um, and we help to navigate, you know the, the roughly 30 plans that are in every single county to figure out, hey, what's best for you. Like you don't have to go through and, and figure out what's best because it's really confusing. We'll, we'll do all that work for you free of your free for you um, and enroll you in that
1: yeah that's awesome and and you you're at the intersection of cost and uh, access it sounds like
2: yeah and I mean it, it's also like not only do we have a, a really good spot in terms of of um, you know first of all being able to like be the the proverbial front door for like a a, a Medicare member citizen, Um, but essentially like the carpet afterwards (laughs) and like following that, you know, like, like healthcare doesn't stop by just getting insurance. It, you know, continues with education and understanding what healthcare navigation is and, and how to go to your doctor and, and all that good stuff. And so, um, you know, that's a space that we're entering into and is, is, is pretty exciting in terms of educating folks about their healthcare coverage
0: kevin i remember very clearly you and i driving through the forests of sequoia national forest and talking about preventative care and how that would be a huge like money saver for the whole industry it would keep people healthier i've got a a really controversial question well this shouldn't okay this is not a controversial question but anything around vaccines right now is loaded some people say like we should be focusing not just on vaccines but also on the health that comes along with like preventing bad outcomes from Mm -hmm. getting COVID things like getting out in the sun more and getting more vitamin D or like eating healthier, getting exercise. Like, do you think that this, the idea of preventative care has been like overemphasized, underemphasized in the past year and a half with COVID? Do you think it should have a a voice in the conversation?
2: Certainly. Um, I mean, I think like that's a big push for the entire industry. Like essentially like the business case there is preventative care prevents a, think of a, you know, a chronic disease or or condition, um, or, or like any, you know, uh, health condition that could have happened, you know, good example here is, uh, you know, as a nation, we are not the healthiest, (laughs) like we're pretty sick. And, um, and so, uh, you know, if you were able to prevent, you know, the, the mother of three, before she uh, ends up getting diagnosed with with diabetes, um, to prevent and 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 promote like healthy living um, and like preempt that essentially, you've not only saved that mother from a chronic disease, but you've saved the healthcare system on you know a, a large cost burden um, in terms of chronic diseases. So. Um, so yeah, I don't I, yeah. like I don't know if that answers the question.
0: No, totally. Like, totally. It's so, but you know, it's so interesting that that is more difficult to monetize than like like monetizing health is a lot more difficult than monetizing sickness, and I'm curious like if that has all impacted the way that like providers and the healthcare yeah. industry in general, like markets drugs or like yeah. services because it's a lot more challenging to do that than just to like let the problem of sickness and and unhealthiness continue and just make money off of it.
2: It's certainly going that way. I mean, and so like a a uh you know model that we would all point to and and talk about is 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 value-based care. Um essentially what that means is, you know, we live in like a sick care system. We want to move towards a health care system. You know, when I go because I break an arm or or uh, develop a chronic disease, I go and access care when I need it because something bad happened. What about uh, if we move to a healthcare system where the healthcare system is incentivized to keep me healthy instead of just provide services and, and reap the rewards of that? And so, um, you know, it, it, there's a... a, a it starts with aligning incentives and and all kinds of good stuff, but um, you know it, it's certainly moving that way, and I am definitely encouraged by that. So, yeah, well, I guess we'll I guess we'll see what happens.
1: And we'll have to probably uh, check in on that. We'll check. We'll put a pin in that and check in on it in our next podcast and see if the American <laughs> healthcare system has improved at all.
0: Thanks to Kevin and Go Health. <laughs> yes,
1: um, but Kevin, I and you know this. You've listened to podcasts before. There, we always end our podcast with. Giving you a soapbox to talk mm. for 30 seconds about whatever trivial, gravely important yeah, anywhere, any topic that you would like.
2: So, Kevin, yeah. the floor is yours. So, man, my soapbox, <laughs> people that are close to me know about this. Um, I feel strongly about good umbrellas. And why I mean that is, uh, you know, you know, the little like foldable umbrellas. That are like, I like, know them too well. Like, like a, a foot long. No, I'm talking like the the yardstick umbrellas that have a curved handle.
1: That I have to like dedicate a room in my house to keep them yeah, around.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like those, I feel adamantly about strong and good umbrellas because one time I was a freshman in college, walking from my dorm in a full suit, and I had one of those small little umbrellas, and it was a pouring rainstorm, and it just shattered <laughs> as I'm walking in this rainstorm.
1: Wait, like the, the umbrella shattered.
2: Yeah. And so I'm, I end up walking like a half a mile with absolutely no umbrella, soaking from head to toe in a full suit. And I'm like, never again. Y- you remind- Never again.
1: <laughs> you've reminded me that somehow I-, I still have yet to buy myself an umbrella. To- well, I just
0: think that getting that yardstick umbrella is just the pinnacle of like adulthood. Like that is, that is when you transition from adolescent to adult not when you graduate college i want to get your first job <laughs> when you buy your yardstick umbrella that's when you know
2: yeah i man, i feel adamantly about it like you gotta you gotta Ooh. have it <laughs>
0: okay
1: that's well you want to go umbrella shopping with me sometime yes okay oh yeah
2: i will do that right. with you
1: <laughs> i'll uh, i'll set some time up on your calendar good um, <laughs> but kevin it's been great having on this podcast uh we covered so much uh I, I think the density of topics is one of the uh is one of the highest of this podcast. Yeah.
0: So, No, it's been, it's been pleasure. And we're going to have to do a part two sometime soon. Um, Becca, him, uh, I guess we're not going to have you on anytime soon. Cause Kevin's just going to keep coming on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Or maybe we just do a bonus, like just talk about healthcare for good an hour. Oh um, yeah. Um, but yeah, Kevin, it's been great having you on. So until next time and thanks, uh, thanks
2: everyone for listening. Yeah. Thanks so much guys.